GM friends and welcome to the Metacast brought to you by Navic. My name is Nico and today I'm joined by Renz Chong, the co-founder and CEO of BreederDAO. Um, the last episode I was recording live from Brighton in the UK and today we're in Paris. Um, it's, it's, it's actually doable today. So yesterday was the hottest day in France ever. There was a heat wave. And there was a heat wave. It was terrible. And so we were in this room trying to do like panel discussions yep. for YGG. And it was, um, it was, it was, it was like a sauna and, you know, um, but it was okay. Look, today's fine. We're, we're fresh. We're right. ready to go. So, uh, the idea today would be to talk about breeder DAO, what breeder DAO is doing, um, where breeder DAO is, go- DAO is going. And yeah, a bit more a bit around, you know, assets within the metaverse, um, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, Renz, when I, saw that you guys announced a raise the start of this year. Um, BreederDAO was described as the factory of the metaverse. Yep. Could you elaborate a bit on that and what, what is BreederDAO doing and, and what's your business model, et cetera? Sure. So maybe I'll go back to how we actually started to give things perspective. So we really started just by breeding Axie Infinity. So you know how the actual economy within Axie is composed of like, you know, uh, players and breeders, right? Uh, the, fly, the flywheel works such that People who actually play get SLP. SLPs then used to breed. And once you breed more axes, then you can onboard more people, right? So at one point, like June 2021, uh, and because we were situated in the Philippines, we saw the entire landscape, right? A lot of people left and right were asking for scholarships, were asking for guild managers, right? And they all wanted to join. Uh, and because we're quite close with the YGG ecosystem, my mentor uh, was also the one who introduced me to like this entire space. Uh, is also a close advisor to YGG. So we're pretty close to the space. So we were thinking that, you know, maybe everybody is too focused on the demand side of things, on player liquidity, uh, grinding for SLP and like, you know, um, building more axes to accommodate more scholars. We thought that maybe there's an opportunity on the supply side. And when we look at the marketplace, the axe the, the, the prices went from $200 to $800. And so we thought that maybe there's an opportunity to capture there. So I pitched it to the same mentor. Uh, my mentor then gave uh, 180K uh, dollars. In less than three months, we were able to generate $6 million in revenues and close to 1.5 million in terms of profits. So we thought that, you know, just like any bull market in crypto, we were able to ride the wave and it was like luck, right? More than anything. So we stopped and then we kind of thought about it more, right? But the thing changed when we got in contact with Gabby because Gabby was like, you know, the actual problem is the lack of quality asset in the market, right? Because there's a lot of scholars looking to play Axie Infinity. There's a lot of people looking to play because they can earn, right? So yeah, he was like, uh, that's a single most, uh, uh, that's a single problem in the space, which is why people cannot expand because, uh, funding was never an issue because there were a lot of like VCs, at least during that time, there was a lot, there were a lot of VCs were constantly like, you know, giving out money to all of these like guilds, right? Mm-hmm. Left and right, um, guilds were popping, right? So it wasn't an issue at all. Uh, and then there's no problem with uh, player base because just in the Philippines, you have so many people uh, who lost their jobs during the pandemic and mm-hmm. are looking to find alternative sources of income. And actually Infinity at one point provided a higher minimum wage than the minimum wage in the Philippines, even in Manila. So overall, like uh, the real bottleneck was a supply side. So we thought about it more. We asked more guilds, more games, and it was shared sentiment across everyone. So we were like, okay, I think we can specialize in producing assets within games just by leveraging off like in-game mechanics, right? But, you know, we, we thought about it more. And what we realized is that 
we don't want to just create assets that are only that are allowed for by the games, right? Eventually, as the factory, we also want to expand to be able to create our own assets. What does that mean? Right now, when it comes to games, you have breeding, you have crafting, you have cloning, right? And in the future, you know, there may be other modes of like asset generation, but we want to introduce the idea of community creation within these games. So we want to maybe create a platform that would allow people to uh, have their own or design their own assets and then put that within the games, kind of like cosmetics or skins that exist right now, right? So that's one of the visions that we have. Uh, it could be, you know, wearables for your digital avatars or like furnitures for your homes. Uh, the, the scale is going to be really huge and there's no limit to whatever it is that we want to produce. As long as you're in a metaverse and you want to create an asset for it, then we should be able to cover for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was a lot to cover. So yep. let's take this step by step. You started initially last summer when the Axie boom happened and yep. you saw, um, if I understand this correctly, you saw an arbitrage opportunity between the price of SLP which was needed to breed new axes and the price of new axes and the way they were, or the price at which they were sold in the marketplace. Pretty much. So it's more of like the cost to produce an axe yeah. was so much lower yes. than the cost that's being sold. In yes. The okay. And so you decided, Hey, you know, why don't we just, um, you know, and, and you, productized it you made it so super hyper efficient and yes. you, you basically you bought it almost yeah that'd be a fair characterization and so we kind of specialize in uh optimizing for specific traits okay. that we know are gonna dominate in a match mm. right so when Axie changed the meta and well not the meta but the, the the mechanics such that only people who participate or who win in the pvp actually get slp then that allowed for more people or that enabled more people to kind of think and design and craft like as axes that are far superior than others. Yeah. Cause previously when, you know, you can get easily 150 SLP from adventure, right? Then it doesn't matter what your axe look like or, or what trait it has, right? Even the worst axes can actually achieve 150 SLP as long as you spend enough time. Yes. And when they actually removed that part, then it became more strategic in a sense, right? You have to conserve your energy because that's the only way you'll get SLP. And if you don't reach the quota, then, you know, oftentimes you get kicked out of the guild, right? So it became more strategic and more competitive in terms of landscape. And we, we kind of optimized for specific traits that would allow you to win in a match. Okay. We, with Navig, did a very deep breakdown of the Axie Infinity economy. And we saw indeed that some of the shifts that were happening also on the economic side was that skill was more rewarded than yep. just purely time. And yep. then, you know, okay, you saw the opportunity there or the demand at least there for the best assets. Right. So fun little story, you know, I heard about Axie Infinity pretty early on. And when the boom, ha boom happened, I was like, I got to try this, right? So I paid a shit ton of money for three Axies um, and they were absolutely terrible. I couldn't win a match. So I should have probably, you know, used your, your, you should um, have, yeah, you should have, I should have, you should have met earlier. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, that's cool. And so what you do is you analyze the meta, you see what's the team composition or the, the certain traits that have right. the highest percentage of winning. Yeah. Do you do that? Um, like based on analytics, is there like an analytics platform? So, uh, we actually get our data from two sources. The first one is by actually playing the game. Mm -hmm. So within BreederDAO, we actually have like game analysts who's tasked to just play the game, mm -hmm. understand like the meta, and then tell us like what sorts of builds actually work for like which ranking. So, cause there's different MMR rankings and for each range, there's a specific kind of axis depending on what these guys are actually using. 
The second one is through data, data analytics. So we track the marketplace, see what's actually being bred, see also like what's being sold, right? So uh, we also track liquidity in a sense. Like you want to find like a niche where people are, where there's a constant volume of assets or it's particular assets and traits that are being sold. And that's what we kind of optimize for, at least in the back end. Yeah. Okay. And um, we actually, on this podcast, a few months ago, we had a discussion about the future of guilds and specifically targeted at becoming an esports organization. Right. And, you know, we were talking about a hypothetical world where you had certain in-game items that, you know, every time you generated them, they had like a random characteristics, which was maybe normally distributed on the, it could be go, go very bad or very good. Okay. And so I guess, you know, the way you would see yourself in such a environment would be to like, you know, generate a, a ton of these assets yep. and then like try to optimize to have the, the long, right. uh, the long tail of, uh, of yep. the good, good uh, characteristics. Yep. Well, I guess like, you know, even though it's actually normalized, there's still a way for you to boost like certain uh, occurrence of like specific characteristics, yeah. right? At least that's part of like the game. Right? Should be part of the so, game. So yeah. we try and maximize that uh, probability, and because of the rate at which we can produce assets, because we also build technology that allows for us to uh, produce these assets at scale, then chances are we'll have like the largest pool of like best assets, just because we optimize for it via the highest probability as well as like we produce the most assets, right? So by yeah. nature, like we should be able to get like the most. Okay. And then and you're saying that, okay, on the long term, you see yourself more on the user-generated content side where you um, help users, players to, you know, give them the tools to actually create things and add value within the games yep. that you're focusing on. Yep. So I feel like what's lacking in a lot of these games right now is the attachment that players usually have with their assets, right? So the guild model, although it's quite revolutionary, right? It has one flaw. The assets are not owned by the players and they're actually using it as a means to generate income. So in that sense, they're already detached from their assets and the objective is not to collect these assets, but instead to utilize them to earn a living for themselves. I'm not saying that's bad, right? Because I admit that there's, there are always people who are going to play these games to earn. And that has always existed even before blockchain gaming. Genshin Impact, for example, uh, is a game that I always use as a reference because when I was starting Genshin Impact, people were already selling me accounts because at the start you earn like a certain pool of like gems and then you're able to use that, those gems to actually reroll characters. And it's RNG based, right? So as long as you create like tons of account, try to work on the RNG, then you might luck out on getting like a good character. And if you luck out on that, and it so happened that, you know, this new guy who wants to enter, who has money, wants to actually get a character. And instead of him like trying to recreate these accounts, he can just buy it straight from you. So yeah, I mean, there were all of you people who would play to earn. Um, and I guess that isn't bad. That is actually like, you know, a, a specific profile or demographic of players within the ecosystem. And it's hard for us to rule them out because it's not up to us to actually rule them out. Players should play depending on how they actually want to play it, right? And it's not like, you know, we should bar these guys from playing just because they extract value from the economy, right? Uh, instead, we should assign these games to target like different individuals or different profiles and allow them to enjoy the game based on how they want to enjoy it. Do you think that 
your participation. So what you're doing is you're optimizing, um, you're essentially like arbitraging inefficiencies um, within the game. And so you're making it harder from for someone who is not optimizing to actually win, I would say, right? If you're you know, an average player, you buy some average axes because BreederDAO is optimizing so much and providing like, like top meta liquidity of assets. Yep. It's like the average team will be stronger, which makes it harder for an average person who's not in touch with the meta to actually win. So do you think that a game would be more fun without a participant like your, like BreederDAO? Uh, I think it varies because even though we say we're the largest player, right? Uh, because of how, you know, breeding works and that everyone can actually breed, right? We only really produce like, uh, at our peak, we only really produce like three to 5% of the total market supply. So it's still decentralized enough that people actually participate and are able to produce their own. And even if we say that we don't participate, people are still going to produce like assets better than someone else, right? So it's part of the game to actually study it and to try and formulate things. It's yes. part of what makes it fun, right? But I feel like, you know, it's also unfair because right now, or during that time, there was only one game. Mm-hmm. So we were all competing in the same battlefield. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you know, the more games that are, uh, you know, in the market, then the more optimization can happen, the more people are, the, the, the more uh, opportunities for people to be able to participate, right? So um, it's just that, when we started, it was only one game and people all flocked to that game. Mm-hmm. So we became dominant in that game. But I think like the game still provided a ton of opportunity for a lot of people just because of how breeding works. It doesn't like, so, so there's no like limit to the number of people who can breed, right? It's not like, you know, if you have a badge, then that's the, th- those are the only people who can actually breed, right? Mm-hmm. So because there's no limiting to the, uh, there, there's, there's no limit to the number of people who can actually breed and participate, then you know, I don't think like, you know, a, a market without BreederDAO is more efficient because ultimately, like, if not BreederDAO, then someone else would actually rise yeah, the yeah. challenge and be you know, the number one there. You remind me of these hedge funds or like large financial ex- institutions who do arbitraging of like different currencies across markets. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, when you ask them, like, what are you doing? Because I think, you know, often regular people actually suffer from their ar- arbitraging. Yep. Uh, and then their answer is, you know, but if we don't do it, someone else will. Right. Um, exactly. And so that's your answer. Okay. Noted. Um, good. I mean, but it's not just that. I think, you know, because there's actually an opportunity there, then, I mean, it, we're not actually stopping you from doing the same thing, right? You can do it yourself. So, yes. So it's not that someone is going to do it, but it's an open market. And, yeah. And but because, so, I mean, I would say that because there's now a financial incentive to yeah. have almost like, to have a PhD in in like you know in in the game itself, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, it you actually like as a as a as a company, right? As a, or as a DAO, and we can go into the DAO aspect later. You you know are, are, are so strongly financially incentivized to optimize everything so much that the game becomes less fun for those who are not optimizing. That like um, and so I, I guess my conclusion is because um, I, I think I agree with you. Like you personally. Um, if you were wouldn't be doing what you do, someone else would do it. And so I think this is purely a consequence of the dynamics that putting assets on chain and having a kind of you know um, randomly generated assets that um, actually influence um, like utility within the game. Yep. It's is just a, like a natural consequence of that. And just because you yep. know we as humans are 
you know, greedy as, as fuck, yep. you know, we, we're <laughs> just going to try and use it uh, to our advantage to make as right. much money as possible. You know, I feel like because it's also an economy, right? People tend to have like different roles within the economy. Um, we kind of specialize in providing OTC deals to guilds. Mm. And if we don't actually do it for them, then they're just going to breed it on their own. We've encountered some guilds who don't even know like what it is they're doing. And so, you know, one of the guilds that we've worked with actually relies on their scholars to tell them like which assets they should make. And so instead of doing that, we approached them and told them that, you know, we can actually do it for you. So in that sense, uh, we're not actually competing against like this marketplace or, or the market or the, 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 the volume in the marketplace because we're actually creating a different volume or we're touching on a different volume. Mm. And in that sense, you know, if we don't do it, then they'll do it themselves. The, they might arrive at the same, you know, assets only like longer or like more expensive, but ultimately if they actually go with us, then it's actually a shortcut. So yeah. it's more efficient in that sense. That makes sense. And so um, what percentage of the assets that you create, do you sell OTC? And OTC means over the counter directly, yeah. like you make a deal with like a guild, the guild yeah. would be like, okay, we have a thousand scholars. Yeah. So we need 3000 top tier axes. Yeah. Um, so can we buy them for, you know, X amount of dollars? Um, it, uh, what's the, the, the percentages there? Uh, you want it specific to Axie because we produce like for six different things. And for the most part, like for the other five games, we did it like marketplace. So okay. if it's a total, then the, 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 the ratio would be 30 to 70, 30 for the guilds and then 70 to marketplace. But if we're looking at purely Axie Infinity, then I think in terms of like value, that's going to be like 70, 30. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, so you mentioned six other games, which are those? Well, five other games, so six games in total. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So Axie, Pegasi, Carbada, uh, Fancy Bird, Cybal, as well as Crypto Unicorns. Okay, okay, gotcha. Um, and so all of these games, if I'm not mistaken, have a kind of breeding type dynamic? Yep. And, or, or they might be called different, right? But it's the same yeah. thing? Well, yeah. Cybal, it's mentoring, but it, yeah, it's still yeah, the same, yeah. mostly breeding. Yeah. And so, you know, if you break down breeding, like, how do you look at it from an, and like, across games like is it always the same thing where you would like need one or multiple assets and then you you get like you, you like a randomization function is called upon which trades that you inherit i mean currently with the games uh, with the games released in blockchain like most of them are the same uh it's also natural for it to happen that way because actually infinity was kind of the standard mm -hmm. right and everybody pretty much copied the same model especially after the success but in the future, of course, we're going to see like a lot more iterations, especially now as people are seeing like the flaws with what's happening, right? Uh, and we can only improve from here, right? So um, we're, or, or, or we're, quite, we're quite certain that there will be more improvements and variations in the future. Uh, and we will not be solely locked in towards like a singular type of reading where you just have two assets, combine it, or you can have like one asset and combine it and then you got like an egg or a baby, right? Mm -hmm. And you wait for it to hatch and then you repeat the same cycle over and over again. If you look at the six games that you're operating in, um, what differentiates each game from another in terms of, um, I guess the dynamics, as you just said, are the same or broadly the same between the games. But um, I, what decides how much effort you put in it, how many um, uh, assets that you really breed and how much revenue you get? 
think what differentiates them would be the gameplays. Um, Axie Infinity and Carbada uh, are similar in terms of gameplay. It's like a 3v3, right? Uh, and then Card Battler. Um, but Pegasi is like an RNG. Uh, you have Fancy Birds, which is a hyper casual game, similar to Flappy Birds, right? And then you have crypto games, which is for uh, crypto unicorns, which is like a, a farming game. So because of the genre of these games, then there are different stats that you have to optimize for. And depending on the nature of the game, say, you know, if it's Axie Infinity, then it needs to be the combination of these three assets, right? Uh, you want to optimize or you want to make sure that the combination of traits across the three assets are perfect because it's a co-op, uh, at least between the three. Right? Mm -hmm. And then you have Pegasi, where it's an individual uh, horse fighting against like all the other horse. Uh, and it's a bit, you know, speculative in terms of like how the stats affect these, uh, or how the stat, or how the stats affect like the winability or the mm -hmm. win rate of like mm -hmm. these horses. So I feel like in terms of optimization, that's where uh, it matters, especially on our end, because we're optimizing for specific or different things. If Axie Infinity, we have to optimize for a specific cards. In Pegasi, we have to uh, optimize for a specific um, breed type or like a specific genotype, right? So uh, I think that's where they differ, uh, at least right now. But essentially, if you try and look at it, you're optimizing for something and that something kind of predicts like the winnability of uh, an asset. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And so what do you think went wrong with all of these games or most of these games, right? Um, you know, Axie, SLP went down, the, the prices of Axie went down. Um, I think, you know, many of the other games have a, have a similar type of tra tra trajectory. So um, in, in your words or in, in your view, what went wrong? I think it's not what went wrong, but we've actually learned from this. Because Axie Infinity kind of started by introducing, you know, the ability to earn within games. And it actually opened our eyes to see like what sorts of value blockchain actually provides, especially when it comes to gaming. Because income before um, was possi possible, right? You have black markets by, or you have operating, or you have black market operations selling, you know, a bunch of stuff like within games, but not actually allowed by these games, right? And then all, all of a sudden, you know, you have Axie Infinity where you can own your asset and you can actually. Uh, and as a consequence of that, you can actually sell these assets. And because you can sell these assets, then you can earn from these assets, right? So it opened our eyes to one of the key utility of blockchain, which is because of ownership, then you can participate in a decentralized marketplace, hence allowing you to earn. Uh, and I think like that's, a, I wouldn't say that's like the only step that we would have taken to be able to open the eyes of like a lot of people to you know, gaming or like to blockchain gaming. But I think it was a necessary step for us to be able to uh, progress, right, towards the next step. So now that we know that this kind of model doesn't work and, you know, to some extent, people call it like a Ponzi-ish scheme because at one point you wouldn't be able to catch on to the demand or rather the supply that's being generated um, by just encouraging or onboarding more people, right? So I think because it's flat right now and, you know, people talk about like sinks or, or burns, right? Mm -hmm. 
uh, and people are saying that you know we need to add more burns or sinks to be able to make the economy more sustainable. But I guess my question is like, do we really need to make the economy sustainable, or do we need to make like the game like better in terms of everything? Right? Is it the economy that we have to optimize for, or is it the game itself? Because people seem to think that you know these are two separate things. But game economies have always existed, right? And people didn't necessarily optimize for these economies. Yes, they tried to make it better so that you know the experience is, I guess, more real. And you know, in a sense, you can also gamify economies, right? But if you try to optimize for economies such that you know everyone can actually earn, then I don't think that's ever going to be sustainable, or that's even realistic, right? Because if you look at the earlier models, it's just new money being passed on to old players. And the moment that new money stops coming in, then you have no choice but to actually let the people who are still in the game suffer. So yeah, I mean, that's my general perspective on what's happening and what happened for, for a lot of these games. Okay, so just to try to summarize, right? You saw that um, through blockchain, we there is a possibility to I guess drive back value towards the players instead yeah. of all of that staying within the game. Uh, but your general thought is that you don't see the play to earn concept work at least not on a broad scale within a game. Like we shouldn't have the expectation that you know, or at least for now maybe that people you know would have a job playing these games. Yeah. And um, I guess then your argument would be, and this is you know just me saying that for you so feel free to correct me um that the people who earn should perhaps be the ones that are the most skilled at the game would that be a good idea well in general like anyone who actually contributes right which is why Mm -hmm. some people think that you know there shouldn't be like any secondary token where you can just farm it consistently instead value should be created from the governance token if you actually contribute or participate towards the betterment of the game or it should be actually catered towards, you know, the NFTs themselves, uh, and then as it appreciate, as it may appreciate or depreciate, depending on whether or not, you know, it actually provides a good meta within the game. So, yeah, I mean, I think yes, in a sense, like it should be given towards the most skilled players, but only if those skilled players actually contribute to the game. Okay, we can't have like everyone like earning right or, or winning in terms of like uh, on the financial aspect. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, it's what uh, I think a lot of people have been saying, right? Um, yeah. Okay, so it's um, we go away from play and earn, but it's contribute and earn. That that's what you're saying. Uh, yes, although again, as I've said, like play and earn isn't necessarily like a, a thing that I would push myself. Um, people can play and earn. People can play to earn. People can play to own or play and own. Right? Uh, it's not up to us to actually decide or to design that specific profile of users we shouldn't build like games for these specific people uh, these specific like individuals right because there are actually 3 billion players Axie Infinity was able to get like 3 million uh, at its peak and you know that's only a small subsection right so we know that maybe play to earn can target 3 million people Um, there are different other profiles that we need to target in order to capture that entire 3 billion people. Okay. Okay. That's fair. What is, um, you, like, what are your thoughts on the concept of breeding? So you said, you know, from what we've seen from Axie, right? The token price and the NFT price collapsed. 
Um, we need to learn from that. Yeah. Do you think there is a similar model that would work sustainably? And for example, like if you could change a thing in within the Axie gameplay or economy, what would you change to make it sustainable? Or have you given up? I, I haven't given up for sure, right? And it's hard to actually say like what would work versus what wouldn't work. But I try to kind of change some small variables, kind of like you know when you were when you're doing like a scientific experiment, right? You have like a base uh, model and you try to change like a few variables here and there to see how the population or how you know it will interact with each other so you know maybe things like you're actually having or are your actually parts like breaking and then you would need to have a sink say slp uh, burn to be able to repair it uh, again, I don't know. I wouldn't claim to be an expert in terms of game design or game economies, but yeah, these small changes actually may affect like a lot of people. And you know, you you won't really know like what would succeed unless you actually try it out and it succeeds. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that if it succeeds for one game, then it will surely affect like, or it would surely be like a model that's replicable across like every single game. So I don't know like how it will work, but. Uh, in terms of sustainability, it's really going to be hard to predict or to say like what would actually work versus what wouldn't. Okay, so you're saying that if you if you build a game, um, the only way to know if it's truly sustainable is to actually test it out. Yes, exactly. And it's very hard hard to model out yep. sustainability. Yep. Okay. And then it really depends on like the kind of people that you're able to attract, right? <laughs> if naturally, you know, you design a game such that it's easy for people to earn money from it, then you can expect that. You know the pool of individuals that you're going to be able to trap or to attract would be, you know, those who are just looking to earn from it. So, if you design a game that targets like different profiles, then I guess it would be easier for you to kind of think about like, you know, should I design an economy for like a specific individual or like should it be like for a broader audience? And then I'd see like the demographics that I'm able to like attract based on, you know, the kind of game that I actually uh, design. Okay. Do you think we'll ever have these types of games, um, you know, reach mass, mass audience, like a hundred million plus players? Could be. Cause I think like, you know, designing a blockchain game isn't really super different from like, of course you have like smart contracts and the intricacies of like, you know, NFTs. Um, but I think at the core of it, like it still provides entertainment. Right. And we've seen like a, a ton of genre of games from play to, uh, pay to win, sorry, and uh, free to play, right? And these genres didn't really differ that much. I mean, you have free to play, uh, hyper casual, casual, right? And then, you know, we're seeing the same set of games um, that are being developed right now uh, within the uh, blockchain gaming space and even the AAA games, right, are being developed in the space. So if we were able to do it in the past and blockchain ultimately just allows for people to be able to own their asset, then I don't think, I believe that there's no reason for us to not achieve the same success as we have, like for free to play. Yep. Okay, worst case scenario, um, the breeding cycle turns out to um, never result in like a sustainable economy just because it is, you know, abused by, players like yourself, right? Yep. Um, and optimize so much that the games that are resulting from it are actually never fun to play, right? In, in the end, you need 
in order for people to take money out, I guess, you need to have players that bring money in. And that's usually, I know it's often also whales, but on the other hand, there's also this long tail of, of, of newer players that are not super skilled that are just enjoying yep. the game. And they if they feel that because, you know, the system is, is gained so much yep. that they just have a disadvantage at every turn. It, it might just never gain traction. Yep. Um, you know, long intro to ask what the like what, what does Breeder DAO do? You know, that's very interesting because people seem to think that uh, what we do is actually quite linear and that, you know, we only just rely on like the breeding within games. But it's in the name, man. Yes. You, it's, you yes. can pick that. <laughs> yes. Although it's actually, you know, we just, we just, we just made it so, so that it pays tribute to yeah. um, the game that started it all, which is yeah. actually Infinity. But uh, we're, we actually specialize in asset generation. So that includes crafting, for example. And we've seen how crafting has always been uh, something that games have, right, within games. Not as linear as breeding, where you just combine assets, right? But you collect like certain recipes, you try to upgrade it, right? And then there's chances that you break uh, an asset. And sometimes, you know, the the, the price to actually make an asset, uh, factoring like or all, all the wastage and all the per, uh, or all the breakage, right? would actually be more expensive than just buying it from a merchant who knows how to optimize these things. And that I feel like is going to be our positioning in terms of the market. But aside from that, uh, as I've said earlier, like we don't just want to work within like uh, game mechanics, right? We also want to introduce like UGC, as you said, a platform for users to be able to create and personalize their own assets and put it in their game, right? So it's touching on interoperability, but it touches more on the creativity uh, of the people and of the community. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying in, in, in the first part was that, you know, you're essentially focused on, you know, asset generation within NFT-based games. And that's currently is mainly done through breeding. Um, but there will be games where you have to combine a bunch of assets, which could be NFTs and or ERC-20 tokens, just fungible tokens, um, and combine them into other resources. And you're going to do it in such an optimized way that um, you can basically provide it at the cheapest price yes. for, for players. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And then, you know, over time, I guess, then you're also saying like, uh, whenever there's a UGC component there, then you will also try, I guess, to optimize the utility from that UGC components or give people yep. the tools to make the best assets they can. Yep. Well, not the best assets in terms of like, you know, like game domination, right? Yes. But best assets in terms of like how they look, or yep. how they okay. want their characters to look like. Okay. What are some of the, the games that you're interested in or that seem to be going in the two second directions where it's more like a crafting thing or a, um, or a UGC generation thing? So... In terms of crafting, uh, there's Guild of Guardians, right? Uh, at least like in the near term, Ember Sword seems to also have like a crafting. Uh, UGC, you have Shrapnel in terms of like their land, uh, being able to like, you know, create your own like maps. Um, but I haven't really seen like any UGC for avatars, at least not yet. So it's mostly common uh, within the metaverse. The central land allows you to create your own designs and upload it, right? And even sell it, right? So yeah, um, we want to bring that component to games as well, because we believe that people also value how they look within games. You have people playing, you know, League of Legends, Fortnite, uh, Mobile Legends, and they value their skin, even though it doesn't add like any 
thing to their stats. Uh, it's really more of like, you know, uh, it's a bragging right or mm-hmm. like, you know, for show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that's all what people need to be able to enjoy the game and people uh, are doing it now. So mm-hmm. why not also do it on blockchain? Yeah, that's true. Um, before I want to touch upon the DAO part uh, piece of what you're doing as well, but before that, um, there's one interesting question that I've been asking people um, and I've, Always, I have my opinion of this as I usually do um, in these uh, questions. And so, my question for you is: If you look at the big MMOs that already exist that are very popular, um, I've noticed that pretty much like fifty percent of the people I meet with within my three like played World of Warcraft or RuneScape um, or both. So, my question to you is: Do you feel like these games would have been as successful as they were if they had been like fully on chain? Where the economies would have been open, well, not, so the game doesn't live on chain, but all the assets would be NFTs or uh, fungible tokens. That's a very interesting question. Uh, people also say that these were the original blockchain games. Right? <laughs> uh, I think it might be uh, in the sense that you know, because that's how the game is actually framed anyway. So, you know, you just made it easier via blockchain, but it could also be like, because you made it easier, then it's not as fun for people to actually do it. Uh, although again, like it's hard to say because we can't just go back in time and, and redo it. Right. Uh, I'd say like the quality of games during that time also helped because I think they were also ahead uh, in terms of like, you know, how they actually position themselves. Uh, and if you were to, maybe recreate the game with the current landscape that we have. And we have all sorts of games that can compete uh, with them, right? It might not have the same traction as it had before. But yeah, I mean, Eve, for example, is also one interesting game that kind of is like uh, an economy-based game, right? Uh, And the the economy is the game. So uh, yeah, that's. I, I'd love to see like how it would actually fare uh, when it's actually built on blockchain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good. All right, let's touch upon the, the second part of the name of what you're building, Breeder DAO. Yep. So, um, where does the DAO element come come in in what you're doing? Until now, um, it seems like you could do it just very centralized as a company, yep. as a business. Yep. You know, the DAO is pretty interesting because, as you said, right, we're a factory and factories tend to be more centralized, right? And rightly so, because we don't expect people, especially the holders of the token, to just quit their jobs and just join us full time and run the DAO because they have some skin in the game, right? And I don't think like anyone has actually perfected like how a DAO should look like. But for me, like DAO, um, at least like how we're starting would be a hybrid of centralized and decentralized. In a sense, it's like CDAO, right? Uh, you have a component that's centralized, but you also have a decentralized component that allows for the organization to participate. So I just watched Stringer Things, which is like Hive Mind is actually very, you know, uh, or resonates, resonates with me like really well. Uh, I still believe that, you know, uh, many heads, uh, many brains would still be contributing towards like the betterment of DAO versus like, you know, just one or, or, or like a pool of individuals, because there are a lot of things that we're not seeing. Uh, blockchain is very early. And even though, you know, you have like 
a specific individual for every specific game, uh, I don't think that that individual would be able to see it all. So for our case, we want to leverage or we want to uh, ask help from the community um, to look at like what's out there, right? How the game file land, uh, how the gaming landscape, at least on blockchain, would actually change and how then we can actually further the development and the innovation within the space. Because right now, you know, these games aren't really set in terms of where they're going to head towards. And so there's a lot of things that can change and we don't know like how that would change. And people like helping us in terms of seeing that change would actually be a really good help in terms of determining like where we want to go from that vision. But also like we don't even know like who are the people within our community as well. We're actually trying to see like what sorts of individuals we're able to attract. Are these the more gamer type? Are these, you know, more data driven like people? Uh, in which case, you know, we want to do a slower, slower rollout of the things that we hand off to the DAO, depending on the skill set and the capabilities of the individuals within the DAO. So yeah, it's, it's a lot, right? And yeah, it's also a question that we've been asking ourselves, right? We set out to be a DAO. Um, but that, what does that really mean, right? So, I mean, just recently we launched our governance, uh, and our discourse. So we want to know how people would react to a thing. Uh, to, to something like a constitution that would basically act as like a guideline to what we believe in and how we operate as a group and the things that we can or cannot do based on, you know, so certain legal implications, right? So, yeah, I mean, from there, like, uh, hopefully we'll be able to gauge like the kind of people you might not know that you have a ton of lawyers within the DAO or token holders, right? And maybe you start off by, you know, giving some legal works to the DAO or, you know, maybe some analytics to the DAO. So yeah, pretty interesting. Are you uh, working together with games right now? Because I can imagine that they're either excited by what you're doing or afraid by what you're doing. What's the sentiment? You know, we actually work closely with the games. So our promise to them is that it's not as though like we'll just flood their market, right? And we wouldn't want that either because how then could we actually generate profits? So the way we work with games would be more of understanding what it is that they're actually creating and sharing information in terms of what worked and what didn't, right? So from the pool of games that we have and from the pool of games that we've been tracking, what did they do? And then what happened when they actually did what, right? And then aside from that, it's really more of like brainstorming together because nobody has this proper formula to be able to get, create that sustainable game, right? So it's really more of bouncing ideas. Um, if you do this, how would this react, right? Uh, and then how uh, uh, do we, as like, you know, the provider of assets, the guilds, be able to help them, like, you know, share their um, game to the guilds, especially the, the micro guilds that we call who do not have the same visibility as the larger ones. Right. So yeah, it's really more of that. Mm. Okay. And um, if, so there's a bunch of people who are building games listening to this. If they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? I mean, we're everywhere. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, Telegram. So I myself, they can ping me if they want to. Uh, I've had, had a lot of 
people like reach out to me via LinkedIn or Twitter. Okay. And I might not respond immediately, but I'll make sure I actually read and respond like, you know, within 24 to 48 hours. Wow. Respect. <laughs> respect. So um, what we know now is that Renz doesn't sleep a lot. Um, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> safe to conclude here. I think it's most of us in, in Web3. Uh, that is, never sleeps, right? That, that, is, that is very true. Well, um, Renz, this was um, this was super insightful, super interesting. Yeah. I really enjoyed our Likewise. talk. I um, I'm going to keep thinking about you know what you do and what it means for games and how yeah. we can like how that can work synergistically. I think yeah. it's uh, it's an interesting um, interesting open question. I think the UGC one will be like really huge, uh, especially for the games. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, Renz, thank you so much for joining. Um, this was a pleasure. So um, yeah, listener, you thank you for listening as well. Um, hope you found it as interesting and insightful as I did. Um, if you liked it, feel free to give us a good rating, subscribe, and that good stuff. Um, if you want to learn more, you can subscribe to the Navic newsletter. And we often do deep dives in the games that we discussed today. Maybe at some point in Breed Your Dive as well. Who knows? Um, and if you want to have access to that, that <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. But if and but if you also would like to see some of these. Uh, industry breakdowns you can always um, subscribe to Navic Pro and you can use the code Metacost there to get uh, some discounts so um, yeah with that we're out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode ciao